Welcome to the welcome to the Barely Joking Podcast, where we talk about feelings, emotions, and what makes comedy bad. All right, so uh, let's talk about our segments real fast because we have we have some talking points. We have some talking points, right? So mm-hmm. one of the one of the first things that we need to get straight is why are we making this podcast? Do you have an answer for that? I think it's because we're passionate about like the comedy process. And since like we've been comedy partners for a while, we have these long ass conversations where we break down jokes, figure out what's funny, figure out what to throw away. And I think this podcast can be like useful for other people to see how we do that. You know, even though we're like semi-professional, semi-amateur. And at the same time, we can be the writing partners for other people, you know? Yeah, I love that. Like, where do I, where do I give my money right now? What are you selling <laughs> right now? <laughs> no, but I, I, I agree with you 100%. Like, I'm, I'm really passionate about the, like, the entire creative process of writing jokes and writing sketches and making sure that it's, that is good enough for stage. And I think that part of uh, the reason why I want to make this podcast is because it took me a very long time to find a, find a writing partner. I've taken a bunch of classes at you know uh, UCB and Improv Olympic in Chicago, places like that. But to find someone that you can sit down and write with was always difficult. I always had to pay a coach to look over my material to see if it's on track. And I feel like although my sense of humor with my coaches were like kind of there it wasn't 100 percent like a, a great fit like we wouldn't be able to sit down and brainstorm uh like tv shows together or ideas that we can pursue together it was yeah it's fun. it's it's basically like getting a prostitute or finding real love you know what i'm saying but at the same time you can pay for the girlfriend experience but it's not the same thing it's not it's not the same thing just going in raw you know but let me ask you this would you would you be the kind of asshole if you find another writing partner you would ditch the current one that you have no man like i feel like i feel like if if i did find more people that i vibed with we could just collaborate on more things right because i think it's i really do think it's difficult to find people who share your sense of humor and can heighten uh your own jokes and you actually use that advice. See, this is why you'll never make it as a comedian, because I would throw you under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be like, oh, don't even bring up Parth, because I have a history with that man. It'd be like, oh, my God, what happened? It's just like, well, he got famous and I didn't. <laughs> I mean, you've been doing this sh- shit for like, what, six years? Actually, wait, speaking of doing this shit for six years now, what, what got you into comedy? Well, um... So I, I feel like I always wanted to be in entertainment. I just didn't know to what degree. So I, I first thought I was like, oh, I would just be a dramatic actor, right? And uh, I took acting lessons when I was a kid um, with my cousin who is now a real actor, right? Um, and I was just like, I was kind of find out, uh, trying to find out creatively what I want to do. And I, and I thought that maybe stand-up would do um like do that for me and 
I don't know. I I I I was trying to see if I could do stand up very well. I did it on YouTube. So I have a couple of videos that are now taken down. But when I was like 13 years old trying to do stand up with zero crowd, um, so no hecklers, that was great. But I remember seeing my first UCB show on a Friday night and it was uh, the, the troop team, uh, sorry, the improv team was called Stepfathers. And at that time, I saw like Zach Woods and Will Hines perform and I immediately knew that whatever they, they were doing, I wanted to do it too. And more, the more I, I watched UCB shows, the more I thought, these people are fucking geniuses. Like they can do sketches, they could do improv and they can do stand they could do the entire gamut so um i just started to take classes immediately because i that's i figured that if if i can take classes anywhere to do comedy it would be right there straight um, up the, straight up wait, UCB. like that was the only one though that was the only place where you took classes no i mean like when i was in new york i i took classes at ucb exclusively but then i took classes also in Chicago for Improv Olympic and Second City. So I was I was trying to I was I was trying to do this thing where I would study only with the best, um, and that's what I thought would help me. And I and I think it did help a lot. But I really needed to look at myself and say I need to put my pen to paper and actually get to work. And that's kind of. And I feel like that happened late in the game for me, but I'm glad it did. But what – same question to you, I guess. Like, what got you into comedy? Uh, being funny. That was that would be the correct answer to that question. No. Uh, mm-hmm. not really. I used to be, like, the, the funny kid with my friends, and they're like, oh, why don't you do stand-up and stuff? And I wasn't good on the stage, or, like, I had a bit of stage fright, so then I started doing uh, – like improv where you don't have to be on stage alone. So I started doing improv. I did like a bunch of short films with my friends in like high school and college, which is another thing where you don't have to be on stage, right? You're just with your group of friends goofing around, shoot a couple of clips. Uh, And then uh, eventually when I moved to Dallas, I decided to do improv. And then uh, I met you and we started doing sketch for like two or three years now. Right. And then uh, I recently started stand up. So, it was just being funny. I, I I like to make people laugh. I guess that's like the most cliched answer, but it's the honest answer. Uh, and no, all like, <laughs> I feel like the most the most cliche answer is just like, oh, I'm just an entertainer, and uh, you could just literally say like, oh yeah, I'm I'm damaged goods. <laughs> like that, that would still be like the same amount of. Yeah, religion. let me tell you what got me into comedy. So I had an uncle who <laughs> just like gets too real real quick. <laughs> I need to yeah, relieve yeah. some pain. Just like, hey, listen, I think it's horrible. Maybe other people will laugh at my pain, and maybe I'll feel better about it. Maybe right. it wasn't that bad. No, but uh, I feel like comedy isn't about that. Comedy, like, I hate when people say, oh, comedians are broken people, or comedians are um, people who are, like, messed up in the head or some shit. That's why they're so funny and stuff like that. And I'm like, I don't think so. I'm not a broken person. I come from, I come from a pretty stable household, you know? Yeah, I feel that. My mom and dad are great. So I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And you know what? Some of our some of our friends who have really fucked up childhoods, not very good at comedy. So mm-hmm. you know what? Like, <laughs> I think no. we should name them just to hurt them a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm joking about that. 
Um, but you're not though. You know you're not. <laughs> you know you're not, right? Like I, we, I've heard we we both heard people say that. Yeah, yo, do you want to hear some fucked up part about my childhood? Don't you think I could use that as material? And I'm like, no, I don't think you can because you're not capable. I could use that as material though. Yeah, for real. Now you know what and. I don't know. It, we did okay. So th- this is just a side note. We actually were in the same improv class. <clears throat> so we were in the same improv class and sketch. And, and yeah, well, also yes, also sketch class. And what what I what I found out immediately is that like, like you were able to you you had different strengths than I did, and like that's part of the reason why I think that uh, when we started to write together, it was a good fit because you have. You have amazing pitches and then actually writing, writing a sketch out. I had more experience in writing the sketches out. So if we work together and saying, Hey, listen, this idea works, let's break it down into what can make it better with our beats. That was like, that was a perfect marrying of our, of our talents together on, on some of the productions that we worked on. Yeah, that was just, I agree. No. I agree. I think it's yeah. I, I think stems back stems back from having a stable childhood, or just like yeah, my my childhood was so stable that I had to be imaginative with the fucked up thoughts I would have, and that would that's where the comedy would come from. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, that's why the pictures were good. But yeah, I couldn't write them. So let's talk about this for a moment. Um, so obviously, there's a bunch of other comedy podcasts in the market uh and we we should probably talk about what makes ours different from other people's comedy podcasts just so that you know our audience knows so what do you, what would you say would be the reason that separates us from other podcasts i mean okay so there are like a lot of comedy podcasts out there uh there's like the good ones uh the last I think the last laugh or something like that. And then there's obviously like the big one, like Joe Rogan, where he has like comedians on his stuff sometimes. And Joe Rogan himself is a good stand-up comedian. And uh, they talk about what it's like to be a stand-up comedian um, and what it's like to write jokes and the process of it and stuff. But I feel like it's two at a professional level where the good ones had an interview with Jerry Seinfeld a while back. And it was great where he was talking about uh, how it was professionally to be a stand-up comic and he went a bit into his process of writing jokes but at the end of the day it was just I write jokes uh, I just sit down and I write for two hours that's something that I think everyone kind of knows and to hear it from like people who've already made it is reaffirming but you don't know enough about the process so I feel like that's what this this podcast is going to be about you know the process of it what we do how we break it down how we argue about these jokes yeah, you know what? Like, I'm glad that you come in from it from an angle of like purity. Like, you wanna, you wanna like nurture other minds, and I feel like one of the reasons why I was totally down for this idea is because I got pissed off at some people that we worked with in the past, right here in Dallas. Because here, all right. So here's the deal: there was a production, and I was writing sketches for it, and we had a director who's never had any uh sketch writing experience at any major theater right so when i whenever i was getting feedback on what would quote unquote make the the sketch better it was always extremely vague and and it wasn't even used like if i were to rewrite the sketch like three times 
at the end of it, they were just like, oh yeah, no, no, it just just this doesn't fit the overall theme of our, our of our show, right? And I'm I'm more of like, all right, so can you please tell me what worked and what did not work? Like, what was the game that you found or the unusual thing that you needed to be heightened? Like, what could have made it better for for stage? What could have made it better for the show? If you can clearly articulate that, that would have been a really, really helpful thing to make me not flip out. And they weren't right? able to. And they weren't able to. But, like, if you were to... Uh, to go to someone who is like trained at like a major theater, they would be able to like they would just right. say, okay, so this right. isn't working because of this reason, this reason, this reason, and you should do these things in order to to make your message a lot clearer or get the audience on board faster. Or this isn't unusual enough to be a full scene. This could be a blackout sketch, so, stuff like that. I and, think uh, I think that that is disrespectful also to a comedian, you know. Or, like, anyone who's in the comedy business to not tell them exactly what you're looking for and make somebody rewrite their ideas again and again. Because that's such a huge waste of time. And it's not easy. People think writing a five-page sketch is easy. It will take you an hour to write a five-page sketch, just the first draft, you know? Yeah. And then, like, if you need to rewrite it uh, and revise it just to make it better, punch it up with some jokes. Like, it's... It's it's all gonna take a lot of time. So if you're wasting my time, I'm not, I mean like we're comedians. Like most of the stuff that we write is gonna be for free or just for practice or something like that. But we want to make it worth our time, right? Right. Because right. if I'm gonna be writing a, a sketch, I want it to be so good that if you were to to say, hey, we have an opportunity for you. Um, do you have any like a portfolio? I could say yes. And not just be like, okay, I have some pretty good ones, but they're not very good anyway. I don't know. Like for me, I think about it. Like I think that some people that I've met do comedy and they... Name them. And, name them. <laughs> name them. And uh, Name the theater, bro. <laughs> it's like just, in Dallas, it's like, oh, aren't there only three of them? <laughs> <laughs> they just take me as a hobby. And I'm like, I'm trying to... I mean, like, even if I don't make it, I want to be at that grade of, like, somebody who makes quality material that other comedians respect. Right. I mean, Whether- I feel like Dallas is is a starter town. Because I, I think, like, the way I started out to actually get into improv sketch and comedy in Dallas, like, truly get into the scene in Dallas, as is going to help me uh be a better comedian now that i'm in new york only because of the fact that i have already made a lot of the major mistakes uh i kind of know i i i know what kind of person is is into the comedy business that isn't serious so since i can identify those people i'll be able to identify easily the people who are serious about the business you know and i think i think and i think that's the that's the irony here because yours is the other way right yeah. Dude, I mean, yeah, it's it's and I, I have to be honest though, like when I first started comedy, I think I started comedy around like uh like like actually going to school for it, um, around like nineteen or twenty years old or something. And it took me a really long time to even find my my kind of like str- my way or my voice in sketch comedy, right? But um what I'm trying to do now is I'm trying to transition to just create more content into podcasting into podcasting uh and also to like write stand-up jokes right 
and just perform at open mics. These are some of the things that that I I 100% feel like I should have done sooner or earlier, but my life just wasn't set up uh, for that uh, for me to do that because I, I needed to be financially stable. Uh, but I mean, I think that what what is important throughout is like you just you just have to stay consistent with whatever it is that you're doing. And I think that no one's going to be able to take away that from anybody, like just putting the time and putting the work in like for you, you're, you're attending open mics, like, like furiously. You're just like trailblazing that shit. You're like, Oh, you've never heard of me. Well, guess what? My name is Parth. Can right. you have a face? I mean, no, now that, now that I'm in New York, I've, I actually haven't attended one in two weeks now, and I'm feeling antsy about it, so I'm going to try to attend one sometime this week uh, on yeah. Wednesday, Thursday, you know, but yeah, no, 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 attending open mics, like, you should be hitting at least four or five open mics a week if you are really serious about being a stand-up comic, and, not, and, and generally also, you and me have had this discussion with, with what you're saying right now about how you should have done stand-up earlier, because it's, it's also a good place for you to go and work on characters, right? If you have a funny character in a sketch and you want to try to figure out how they're going to sound, just go on an open mic and do it. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I, I'm not saying not to do sketch comedy because I love sketch comedy, but like, I do feel like there is more, um, uh, more value in just getting up there and testing your ideas out. Right. So, so, some, so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to marry the, the two, like write, write jokes, like write just regular stand-up jokes and also do characters to build my character portfolio. Because remember, if you're going to a comedy theater and you're expecting um, like stage time, like it's going to take you a while to even get there and you should probably be working on these characters and bits like way before you're like on a house team. You're right. And I think, I think that's what stand up does. It takes away that excuse of, Oh, I'm not getting stage time. No, fuck out of here. You are, you can easily get stage time. Just go to an open mic, be consistent and they will put you up even for three minutes, three minutes, three minutes for fleshing out a character is more than enough. You know, um, uh, I think it takes away that excuse. I think that's one of the main reasons I really decided to get into stand-up after sketch. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think that you're doing it. I mean, like, I don't think that there is any right way, but I, I do think that there are ways to maximize your time. Right. So I feel like that's true, but you know, like let's, let's read Let's, Let's reiterate what this podcast is for, I think, which is just like saying, hey, listen, we're comedians and you're either in comedy or you're trying to get into comedy. And I think that one of the important things to look out for in this podcast is just the way that maybe we analyze jokes. Maybe you agree with it. The way that we analyze um, like sketch ideas and and heightening those sketches. But I think I think we should give people a quick background though about that though, because I just to let everyone know that what we personally do, like me and Aaron, uh, to stay relevant, is we attend a lot of open mics, which you already said. Uh, we write a lot of jokes, sketch jokes. We flesh out characters, and so we kind of want to bring people into that process that we do. Yeah. Um, and we already have a system that, that works for us right now, which is that we spend at least, you know, 20 minutes every single day writing just jokes. Right. And, 
whenever we go uh, attend an open mic, we have it recorded so that we can analyze our performance. Shit on each other. The word he's looking for is shit on each other. You know what? Actually, I wait for the shitting comments. I wait for it. Because every single time I go on stage, like, it's when I'm the most confident that I get shit on the most, right? Never, it does not fucking fail. It's so great. When you're insecure, it goes well. When you're confident, you're like, hey, man, you look like an asshole up there. <laughs> <laughs> it's humbling, man. If it, like, this is the thing. If the audience is not going to humble you, Parth will, for yeah. sure. 100%. It's like, hey, man, I didn't see you laughing. No, because I wasn't. Like, that's that's usually me. If somebody's like, hey, man, what'd you think of that joke? I didn't see you laughing. I'm like, yeah, because it wasn't funny. Like, what do you think? I'm sitting there controlling my laughter for some petty reason. <laughs> I want to meet the person who's just like, I'm not laughing on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I guarantee you there are people. Everyone should be aware. There are assholes like that in this industry, okay? So there, there are people like that. I'm not laughing. <laughs> well, you, you got to get me to the guts right now for me to start even chuckling. Um, but yeah, you know what? Um, and, and I think that this, this podcast is, is for the audience really is for you guys, because what, if you're working on some material, for instance, and you want to send in your jokes and, and, and have us analyze it, we'll be more than happy to do that. If you have any sketch ideas, written out sketches, and you just want us to, to go over and talk about it, yeah, we can most definitely do that on this podcast. Yeah, I mean, I think we'll have something like uh, we're going to have a, some posts on Instagram and Twitter where we're going to probably have a Google form. You can submit whatever jokes you're interested in submitting and you can submit like a PDF or a sketch if you want. We'll try to read it or we'll read it uh, during the podcast. You know, we'll do characters, me and Aaron will play the different characters in your sketch and we'll read it and we'll analyze it. Uh, what beats are funny, what beats aren't. Uh, same thing with your stand-up jokes. If you have one-liners, like 10 one-liners you want to go over, sure, send it to us. Uh, you know, if they're even good, we'll put them on our Instagram or our Twitter, you know, because we love one-liners. Yeah, and I just want to let you know that if if we're going to be performing your stuff or if, or if you're going to send in a recording of you performing your own joke, which is probably preferred if you're going to do a joke that you're going to be performing, we guarantee that we're not going to laugh at it. Guaranteed. Wow. Guaranteed we will not laugh. If you get us to laugh, <laughs> we will stop the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> just like, oh, damn, he's too good or she's too good. Yeah. We can't continue. Nope. All right, but um, that's it. Do you have anything else for it? No, nah, that's it. I, I think this is a good uh, introduction of what this podcast is going to be about. It's It's a slow burn. Uh, yeah, I don't think that anybody wants it to burn, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that, I, that's all I got. So I want to go over some of the pitches that I have for you. Um, I've been kind of like writing down funny ideas or things I have said in the past that I thought was like funny, but I didn't know if they were good enough to be 
on stage or not. So I'm just gonna run by you, and then you just you just let me know how your your first impressions are. Cool. Yeah. Um. So I realized that like I I don't feel like I'm a real man sometimes just because I don't do like the lumberjack bullshit. Like, oh, I haven't created my own cabinets and I haven't. That's such an extreme example. Wait, that's such a fucking extreme example. Like, like going to your therapist. I don't feel like a man. Why? Cause I don't know how to build cabinets. Like that's so extreme. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking? Yeah. <laughs> it should be like, should be like, I don't feel like a man. Cause I don't know how to use a screwdriver. That makes sense. Right. Right. But I mean, like I don't even, I mean, I have, I have a screwdriver, but if it wasn't for only like needing it one time, I wouldn't have bought it. Like I don't, I don't use screwdrivers. I don't have any power tools. Um, I don't, I don't buy nails. Like if, if anything needs to be put up and just say like the company itself isn't offering insulation, I'm just like, nah, I'm okay. I don't want that shit. (laughs) (laughs) Like even when I got the TV, when I got my TV, um, I was like, Hey, does it come with installation? And they're just like, yes. And I'm like, all right, well then I will buy it. If not, then I just won't. So you're I won't put it up. basically you don't go to Ikea. Ikea's like, yeah, you can build this shit on your own. You're like, nope, I'm good. Just like, why would I have to build? I'm, it, aren't I paying for the furniture to be built? Like, what is this? Like there's human error when I do it. Well, I mean, there's always human error, but like there's more, there's an Aaron error when I do it, you know? Uh, so I want to make a, a, at least a bit, I'll stand a bit about how I don't feel like I'm a real man because I had, I had two of my friends come to the house and put up my TV for me. Right. And they had like the stud finder, they had the power tools and I was no help at all in this, in this process. And what I felt like saying while they were, they were doing their thing was like talking like an old woman who was just like, who had pool boys and, and, you know, like cleaning the pools, just like, oh, he's just such strong young men. Oh, my God. Would you like some lemonade? <laughs> and then, like, they just, they just, like, take off their shirts. And I'm just like, oh, my God, it's so healthy. You must be an athlete. Oh. Yeah, was like a, it was like a gay porno intro or something? <laughs> a little bit. I mean, it's, it's just more of, like, the fact that I feel like, I feel like, um, like a housewife or something like that when it comes to anything, uh, to do with power tools and all this other bullshit. You know what that is, bro? That's toxic masculinity talking right now. <laughs> well, I mean, I I feel like my hands are so soft for a reason, and I want to keep them that way, and I never lotion. Yeah, you feel me? Yeah. Next, you're telling me that when there's a fire, you want to leave with the women and children. Is that what you're saying, bro? I mean, like, I'll tell you this. Um, I'll just be like, okay, I, I feel like in those instances – I want to just be like, I'm an only father, please. <laughs> I don't give a shit about women and children. Like, I just killed my wife, okay? <laughs> these, kids, these kids need a father. You understand? <laughs> All right, so what were your first impressions about um, about the idea of a joke? Like, so, I'm not going to lie, but there is a similar bit that Louis C.K. has done, okay? okay? At least with your example. So the topic you're talking about is is not hacky in terms of it's not hacky because it hasn't it doesn't get done enough. Like there are very few comedians who talk about that kind of stuff where like men are expected to be manly and they have feelings too kind of bit, right? Which is which has been done by like Bill Burr and Louis C.K. But they're the only two comedians that come to my mind. But the exact scenario you're talking about where somebody comes to your home and does something manly and you feel feminine, 
has literally been done by Louis C.K. And, okay, cool. And, and, so that means that my choke has legs now because Louis C.K. is out of the goddamn game. Right. He's out. <laughs> right. And, and his example is, uh, I don't remember which stand-up special he did it in, but it, the joke was that he was in a cabin with his uh, daughters over the weekend and a bat came into the house. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Right. I don't know if you heard that. And like... You know, he he was like trying to seduce the animal control guy who took the bat out of the ceiling so easily, like it wasn't even a big deal to him, right? So right, it's right. kind of been done that example, but again, it's like you can definitely use that example because you do go to the extreme of I feel like making lemonade lemonade for them and stuff like that. So I mean, it's it's possible, you know. I mean, it's not like you're copying them; it's like you literally came up with that idea. It's original, right? Uh, but it's similar. <laughs> It's just like, hey, would you like to take off your shirt? You know, <laughs> they're just like, they're just like, uh, it is, it is seventy degrees in this air conditioned home. It's just like, oh, I just didn't, th- you know, the 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 sun was coming from the windows. Yeah, I want to see your hard nipples. <laughs> so, no, because like in his in his bit, I think that's where you can diverge. Where in his bit, he pretends to be a character who's seducing them. Where you can just be like, no, I literally wanted to seduce them. I was confused at that moment. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that's a good bit I feel like that's one of those bits where it should be talked about more I like those kind of bits you know right 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 okay cool 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 alright so there's something there for me to work on I feel that um, there's gonna be an open mic coming up like what tomorrow um, and I'm gonna try it out there but I mean from from your from your point of view right I feel like I've been trying a lot of new bits at open mics, but I don't know if I should scale down on trying new material all the time on open mics. I just get excited about ideas that pop up and I just want to try it out. But obviously I only have like whatever, five minutes on stage. So like, would you think it's from your opinion, do you think it's better for me to work on new material as they come and then kind of like filter out what I feel best with or go back to the old material and like fucking craft that shit. So, yeah, what I do is, I mean, again, I can't tell you what the opinion is. I mean, every comedian does it differently. I can tell you how I do it. Right. Where, cause like some, I mean, one comedian might tell you, I have one set that I practice a hundred times. And when that entire set is done, I move on to new jokes. Cause a lot of time, cause the point of a set is that it has to flow together, right? You can't just do any jokes. Like if you have a hundred jokes and you have to do a five minute set, you're going to take the jokes that flow well together and are funny, right? You're not just going to do funny stuff. Cause then the segue becomes hard. The audience will feel mm-hmm. weird. Like, Hey, you were talking about penises and now you're talking about teddy bears. Like what? So at least the way I do it though, is I'll have two sets of that flow together well, but then I'll smash them together and I'll, work my bits like an assembly line, or at least that's what I was doing. I haven't done, I haven't, I haven't had an open mic in a month, so I'm feeling already out of the game, but at least the way I've been doing it is like, if I have one bit that's almost done, I'll remove it. Right. Like if I have five slots yeah. in my set, right. Slot one will be the best joke that I've worked on and is going well. And slot five will be the newest bit. And then everything in the middle will be like, according to those numbers, one, two, three, four, five. And once one is really good, and I feel like two needs more work, I'll put two to one, one is out of the set, and then five will go to four, and then on the fifth slot, I'll put in another new joke, 
So that way I'm kind of doing like an assembly line. So like right now, my bits about the, the bits that I did at the Addison Improv are now that's my set that's recorded and well done. I'm, I don't work on those jokes anymore unless I'm doing like a new open mic or I have an opportunity to perform in front of somebody and I'll do like a couple of those jokes and then some new material. Cause I know those jokes are going to happen. They've been practiced, but if I'm doing an open yeah. mic now, my plan is to do my Superman joke, right? Which is a bit that's almost there, but it's not. And that'll be like my number one slot. And then my last slot will be like a bit that I'm going to talk about today with you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's hear it. Yeah. So that bit is, hold on, let me, t- let me pull it up. So is this a pitch as of now? Uh, one second. So uh, it's pretty controversial. It's basically uh, men should have the right to abortion, just like women do, right? And that's that's just the okay. topic of the bit. But the logic behind it is, I mean, and it's hard to make funny, right? But I, I think it's 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 an interesting topic, mostly because, and I'll tell you the reasoning behind it is, it's if uh, it, it's from this case that happened recently, where. Uh, I don't know if you saw it in the news, but this dude stabbed his girlfriend because she waited too long to tell him she was pregnant. And now he's getting 65 years in prison. And it's a teenager. Like, this dude is 16, right? And uh, (laughs) those are, like, terrible years. I Like, all right, before you even continue, I just want to let you know that that sounds crazy as, like, or whatever, like, as as a 30 year old or whatever that sounds completely crazy but as a 16 year old like if you were that person's friend wouldn't you just be like woof well i think you overreacted just a little bit you should be very mad right right right. (laughs) i think he overreacted there a bit you know but at the same time it kind of made me realize like let's forget the ages and let's forget this entire case but let's think about the psychology behind it that that dude was probably scared as shit that he had to raise a child right and yeah and the thing is, the reason he was scared is because men have to pay for the child. Like, that's just the way divorce court alimony works. Like, you're tied in for 18 years paying for that kid that you didn't want because she wanted to keep... And I'm not saying... I mean, the women have the right to choose, of course. But then, so do men. You know, that they should have the right not to pay if they don't want the child. And so that's kind I'm of... Going what, back to Dave Chappelle. Yeah, you're right. That's some Dave Chappelle shit. And I kind of wanted to expand on that bit. I feel like he didn't hit it enough. And I also feel like he didn't hit it enough because he already had enough controversial shit in that set, Sticks and Stones, right? Mm-hmm. So yep. that's one idea that I'm working on. And that's probably going to be, like, number five on my, like, sets that I'm going to do at the end. And, and the reason... It's going to be number five is because once you earn the audience's trust with a couple of good bits in the beginning, you can talk about whatever, you know, but even mm-hmm. then I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't, what do you think? You think this is a bit that I shouldn't even try and it's a waste of time, especially at this point. I feel like if there's any time to try something risky is probably at the beginning of your career when nobody knows you. Right. right? That's true. Um, so it depends on how, how you view it. Like, are you going to put it onto YouTube? Uh, I would be like, are right, you better, you better hit these open mics really hard and see how many chuckles you can get. Cause you know, that's, that's what you can, you, that's where you're going to get at open mics is chuckles and see if you could really like get people on your side about this. Cause I think that there is something inherently funny about like, uh, like a 16 year old just like 
because you know like you are so hormonal when you're 16 that you like i bet you anything that this 16 year old murdered his girlfriend or whatever and afterwards he was just like i didn't overreact did i it was just like oh 100 percent you did 100 percent. but at that moment where you're just filled with rage as a 16 year old and you're just like horny at the same time and then you got like you know regents or like state exams to 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 worry about and then you live at your parents house and like your your door just got removed because you know you slammed it one time so you're still mad at your parents like how much stress are you gonna be dealing with i don't know it's just something really funny about like how the problems that that you have when you're a teenager translates differently when you're an adult like easily if this if this teenager was maybe five years older he would have acted way more rationally and like got a job or something so what I think about the bit is that uh, I, I think it's funny the way that like we, we, we change as people when we're teenagers and when, and when we enter like our late 20s and 30s and shit like that. Because when you're, when you're, like, when you're like 16, I remember, okay, I don't know about you, but when I rem- whenever you go back and uh, think about the, the dumb shit that I used to think and feel when I was like 16 years old, it's completely irrational. It's completely based on raw emotion like and i was always justified it, it, like in my mind i've i convinced myself that uh if i'm texting aggressively or if i'm texting too much or if i'm calling too much or if i'm doing whatever it is that you know crazy behavior i'm doing i'm completely in the right i i and uh when when i was like you know 25 or something i'm just like oh shit i gotta stop this this is crazy right this is crazy behavior imagine if like the 16 year old like murders his his girlfriend and then he's going to his friends and he's just like like yeah i should have just like murdered her twice right like something crazy or like like oh that's that's acceptable right i don't know there's something about the way that you think about things when you're younger that will be funny because it's completely stupid right and it's it 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 kind of makes you think that it, the funny thing to me about the story is that, hey, a man murdered his girlfriend because she was pregnant and it took too long for for her to tell him, right? Or she like, how rational him. is that, dude? Right. Can but you what imagine? I'm saying is, but what I'm saying is, like, I'm 27, you're 30, like, we're like, that's crazy. Why would you do that? But then you reveal, like, the dude was 16. It's like, now nah, that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. Those are the right moves. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Like, if that was his friend, I would just be like, oh, man, well, you know what? She deserved it. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's and, like, and, it's just and, crazy. Dude, the funny part is that, all right, I, I, all right, yeah, I know how to make this part funny, right? So, basically, it should have been the jury of his peers. So, it should have been other 16-year-olds, right? And they, they should have been the one, like, who are in charge of what his sentencing should be. And then we'd be like, your honor, this dude has to walk free. He's done nothing wrong. We all would have done that. Right, right. Oh, man. I just think that idea is like so... Yeah, so I think you got like a like a little bit that you can work right. on right now. Because I'm like... Because like the thing is, is that if you're friends with these people and they're all like the same age, they're going to they're gonna think just like that. How many times have you jumped to conclusions based on like your friend's... When, they, when you were like 13 right. said oh yeah no she's definitely cheating on you man 
and it's just like she's at dinner with her parents or something. Right. But like you jump to that conclusion. No, or, or <laughs> right, jump to that conclusion. Or what about the part when you're when you're, when we were kids, right? And like you go on a date with a girl, and like all you do is hold hands. What do you tell your boys after that, dude? Yo, she gave me head. Right. <laughs> so in this case, this dude was like. This dude, and, and your friends kind of believe you, but they don't. But this dude went to his friends, and he was probably like, yo, I killed her. And they're like, yeah, no, you didn't, bro. Come on. You're not that slick. Yeah, for real. I feel like like that kind of joking transcends to, like, in adulthood, too. It's just like, yeah, I killed my wife. It's just like, ha, ha. <laughs> This joke. Like, really? But, like, I think that you're more optimistic about the world when you're younger than when you are when you're older. When you're younger, it's just like, oh, well, um... You know, maybe it was self-defense or maybe was, when you get older, it's just like, yo, I killed my wife. And it would be like, you're going to jail, man. <laughs> <laughs> Not only are you going to jail, but I'll testify that and say that you you admitted to me that you killed your wife. Yeah, so it's like, that's 25 but, to life, son. Just like, this is no detention here, bitch. Like, I'm not going to fucking jail for you. Yeah, I'm with you on the bed. That's what he thought was going to happen. All, right, all that's going to happen is I'm going to get expelled from school. And this dude now has 65 to life. oh man yeah no there's just i think that there's a lot of funny things to pull from when you when you take that story uh because i like really like the really the way that you think when you're younger is just it's just like you're you're stupid you're dumb you're dumb when you're 14 15 thinking about the world you're you're just too optimistic and you're dumb and you think that you're right and then you learn very fast that you're wrong. And then it hits you harder, doesn't it? Like when you're wrong as an adult, you're just like, well, I've been wrong half my life. But when you're just <laughs> like, when you're just like just making decisions for yourself and then you're wrong, you're just like, my entire life is just crashing down in front of me right now. Right. No, because think about it like this. When you're 30, right? I feel like any age you are, half of that you've been dumber than the second half. Right. Let's just, let's just do it like that. So if you're 30, the last 15 years, you've been smarter than the previous 15 years. Right. So if, well, you're, six, if you're 16, you're comparing the intelligence of an eight year old to what you have now. You're just going to be like, yo, I'm super smart right now. Maybe I should kill her. I haven't been caught yet. I didn't get caught when I was stealing cookies. No, my God. That's such good, like, logic. Well, I mean, obviously it's flawed logic, but it's, like, good logic to... It makes to sense on paper, though, right? It makes sense right, when you're right. hearing it. It's like, just, just do it right. Well, because, like, at that time, like, you're the smartest you're ever, like, you ever have been. At right? that moment, right, yeah. Exactly. Right in that moment. Like, right <laughs> now, we know we're stupid as hell when we're twice. Like, you're 30 now. When you're 60, you're going to be like, when I was 30, I was a dumbass. Right? Oh, yeah. Uh, unless... But then there's, like... um there's like the idea of like diminishing returns where at some point I'm just not going to know how to use the remote for the TV anymore. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. It's just like, Oh my God, how do you do the TV inputs? And then I'm going to have to talk to like my grandkids. And it's just like, Hey, like how do you just turn on the TV? And then they're just going to be like, just say TV on. And I'll be like, Oh Jesus, let me write that down. Right. Now I feel like, I feel like that's, that's a good hashtag at the bit though. Yeah. I like it. I for sure. I, I think I think I have some beats for it now. Cool, cool, cool. <clears throat> um, let's see. So we I I I told you that I went to an open mic last week. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was trying to work out this bit where I I did stand up for my family in my in in the house, right? For Christmas. 
So, um, so my mom was, was, uh, getting everyone excited right before we opened up Christmas presents, we got into the living room and, um, I did a, like a, like a four or five minute set of my stuff. And this was, by the way, this was like the good stuff, right? Like the stuff I've been working on. Right. Mm-hmm. And I fucking bombed. I completely bombed. And, um, I made a joke about how my mom looks very disappointed. I got heckled by my uncle and, um, and I just, when I performed it on stage, we talked about it a little bit and it's more of like trying to craft, uh, the joke to make it so that not only does it flow well, but I can also deliver it in a way that people can receive it the best way. Right. Um, and what I realized after talking to you and kind of like reviewing the tapes is that I need to put more pauses in between right. my jokes. So that one, one thing I'll give you a heads up about, though, with family, yeah. like performing in front of your family is never a good idea. Because like to give you an example, uh, and I keep bringing it up again, but it, it's a it's a it's a good set. Uh, you also like it. But the, the set that I did at Addison Improv that I recorded right. uh, I think I, I look confident on stage. You told me I look confident on stage. I, sh- I showed that set to my mom and my brother, and they're like, you look mad nervous. Whoa. Right? Exactly. So, Whoa. The, right, because they're like, you're not talking to the audience the way you talk to us. So family's always going to be horrible because they can, like, I, I'm not on stage talking the way I'm talking to my brother and my mom, right? Like, the way I, I can crack the same jokes that I crack, cracked as in that set and crack it in front of my mom and dad, and I'll be way more relaxed, way more different. It's not even close, Right. To even what I do with you and vice right. versa. Right. Like the right. way you're going to perform in front of your, even me is not even going to be the same as what you perform in front of your mom and dad. If they're the only people in the room. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You're going to be persuasive. So like, I feel like when you're taking the input of what that set was that you performed, like you should just throw it away. Like it's not even any feedback you got from them was cause like, I, I, I put that feedback aside when I heard that from my mom and my brother, like, Oh, you look nervous. I'm like, you have no idea what you're talking about right now. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's a funny. All right, so what I think is so funny about that is that I was I was given the exact same response by not just family, but also um, like one or two friends of mine that I showed some of my pieces to, like my my stand up pieces. They're like, "You look re- you look really nervous," and I'm just like. I, but I'm not though. So how do right. I look like I'm nervous to people? Like, have you not seen like a standup set where like they're just looking at the audience? But the difference is that when they're looking at the audience, the audience is laughing. And in an open mic setting, when you're just trying to like clean up your bits, like you get no response. So you just have to move on to your next joke. And right. I don't know if that if that silence in between makes the viewer look uh, feel nervous. You know, you know, it's one of those things of like, I'm embarrassed for you, right, that kind right, of thing. Right. Or like, or is it really that I did look nervous on stage? Right. Yeah. No, I would say if it's coming from like, if, if I watch your shit and I tell you that, I feel it carries more weight than if your close friends and families like that. Right, right, right. Because right? because I've seen you only as a performer. So I know when you're. I mean, we're, we're pretty tight, so I can tell you too, but like, I, I, they haven't seen you grow as a performer, right? Like I've seen you do stand up now for a while. I've seen your videos. So I can tell you what it was from day one to day now. And same thing with like you watching me, right? From day one, when you saw me to when you saw me do that set, it's the same mm-hmm. thing. 
where with your friends, yeah. it's like the only comparison they have is when you're talking to them to watching that video of you, right? And it's always going to be that issue. That's why I and feel like, like I don't, I don't it, want close people giving me input. I feel that. And like, just, I don't know if you were ever uh, even think like uh, thinking about it, but that set you did at Addison Improv, like you killed that night. You were the most confident that night than right. I've seen you in right. any other place. Right. And my brother's like, you look nervous. And I'm like, bro, what? So funny. And I don't know what nervousness, I think I really, I, I have a theory that when other people see you, right, they like, since they know you so well, they want you to do better than what you're doing right now, right? They want, they want you to do so well that they forget that they're watching you on stage and they think that they're watching someone else on stage. Does that make sense? Right. Right. Yeah. I get what you're saying. I get so you saying. should only get feedback from like other comedians. And exactly. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and I don't know, it's weird, you know, it's like you want them to hear the material. Like I think with family, it's opposite where I want them to be impressed by the material and not the performance where when I'm performing in front of an audience who doesn't know me personally, I want them to like both the performance and the material. Right, I don't right. really care about the performance critique from people close to me, uh, except obviously the people I write with, like you, is is I, I don't care about the performance critique because I'm not performing for you, right? I'm performing for an audience who doesn't know me at all. Correct. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah. I, I don't know. I just found that to be uh, pretty. That's interesting. Pretty, right? like, that was thing. Yeah. Yeah. That was that. That kind of blew my mind for a while. I was like. I was like, am I, am I doing something wrong? Where was, was Logan and was Aaron like bullshitting me? Where it was Amy bullshitting me? Were people bullshitting me? Like my friends that, Hey, you look good and confident on stage. I'm like, were you guys lying? But then I realized, <laughs> no, it's, it's cause family is going to be different, right? Like they know you in a completely different environment. So, so I mean, I, I know that I talked to you and a couple of people about like performing from a family and, and it's like unanimous. Everybody is just like, that's a terrible idea, but it, I was not only was I able to get a bit out of it that I, I'm, I'm working on right now because that was literally the most disappointed I've ever seen my mother. Seriously. <laughs> it was so great. It was just like, and I'm like, this is the person who birthed me and seen all my mistakes up until this point. And this was yet the, the, the worst one. She's like, this is the biggest um, one. Like this is the biggest fuck up. It's just <laughs> like, you know, if I ever felt like I was going to become an orphan, <laughs> that would be the moment. <laughs> <laughs> that was the closest one. Um, but yeah, no. So, but what I say, what I would say is that it was valuable for me to fail in that environment so that I can be fearless on stage in front of, um, strangers, you know? Right. I'm like, I've already done, I've already done all the damage I could do to one to myself. I, and you, you know what? I know that I'm going to, I'm going to continue talking about this. I can, I just cannot believe that my uncle was heckling me. That was my first heckler, man. That was my first heckler. I think that's a great bit that that can stand separately. It's like, yeah, I'm a comedian. I, I I hate hecklers, especially the ones that are related to me. Right. And then you, then you go into that about like my first heckler ever was my uncle. And this was not in a public show. This was in a private show. He was heckling me in front of my own family. Like, do you know how cold hearted that is? Like it, it's funny yeah. if like you do an open mic and your friends are like in the audience and they're heckling you just to help you with material, but that was not the situation here. Your uncle's like, I'm gonna bring this man down in front of the people he loves. 
you know, like sometimes like the heckler gets laughs, yeah. but like this heckler got ooze. <laughs> it was just like, like every time he spoke, I was just like, yo, like, are we like, are we going tit for tat on jokes right now? Like what is going on right now? Like, I felt like this was a perfect setting for like your mama jokes right. for sure. It would be oh, hilarious man. if it's, it's like your uncle's like your mom's brother. It's like he's he's insulting his own sister just to bring you down. <laughs> and that was actually true. That was my that was my mother's brother. And, and, and your mom and your mom's like laughing at those, but not your shit. <laughs> actually, I, I think it would have made the story a lot better if I if that actually did happen. No, do it. But just, this you, is stand up, so we can create. Yeah, we can craft can, it. Yeah. What is what? Is, what do they say? It's like seventy percent true and then thirty percent like exaggeration. Bro, Dean Lewis straight up said lie. Okay, I don't like that man. I don't want to. I don't want to plug him, but like he's. I've heard him say it many times. Right, he was the director for the Addison Improv, who directed the showcase I was in, and mm-hmm. he has told us that straight up. He's like, you can you can make shit up. So, <clears throat> just talking about stand up stuff. Um, and your class with Dean Lewis, what do you, now I know that, that maybe not everything translated to you or translated for you in your career, but what was like maybe one or two pieces of information that Dean, that Dean Lewis shared with you that you were just like, yeah, no, this is, this definitely made it worth this class. Literally only the showcase. That's it. Okay. Well, that's fair. The only right. thing, the only thing I paid, mo- I basically paid money for that showcase. That's it. Uh, and this is my recommendation to anyone: take a stand-up class if it puts you in front of a good showcase. Do not take a stand-up yeah. class to improve your material, because the reason you got into stand-up is probably going to be the reason why you're going to want to stick to your own voice, right? I feel like one thing I realize now is the reason I did stand the. The reason I did stand-up has translated into making me at least figure out a little bit what my voice is. Right. Right. Where if you take a class, somebody's putting their own voice down your throat, it's never going to be good. And you might even find out your voice is not for stand-up and you should get the fuck off the stage. Right? And that's a good thing. At least you're not wasting time pursuing something that you're <laughs> never going to be successful in. And I'm not saying I am. I'm not saying mine is. I mean, I'm just an amateur. I'm, I'm barely a professional, but it's true. I feel like that's <clears throat> there's a lot of wisdom in that, and then there's like a lot of negativity in that too. Because I remember I was I was watching a, a like a long video uh, of Ari Shafir. It was a um, it was Ari Shafir talking to a bunch of comics about their comedy careers, right? And like advice, and I'm gonna say that loosely, like advice on how to make it. And Ari Ari's advice was like, you're gonna suck in the first couple of years of you doing standards, there's no way around that. You just have to like eat the shit and just continue moving. But your, your represent, uh, your, sorry. Um, uh, what is that? Your reputation at the beginning might be that people don't like you and people don't think that you're good or funny or whatever. And you just have to continue doing your shit, move around and you're not going to be the same comic in year five than you would be in year eight. You know, there could be a huge change and you could be like really, really good at year eight, but not so good at year five, something like that. So there's also that, but I agree that sometimes but I, know, but I, I feel like I disagree with that because you might find out that your five is your peak. 
and then you've never grown since then. Right? Oh my god! Because we're no, talking about peaks now, right? Because I'm, I'm, I'm not. But you got to be realistic, right? You, you have to be realistic in this game because like not everyone is going to be even Arya Shafir or Dave Chappelle or Louis C.K. Whatever. Like no one is. I'm not, I'm not saying Arya Shafir is Louis C.K. or Dave Chappelle, but even to reach that point, it's it's you stagnate and that becomes your limit, and that's the kind of comic you are, right? So, yeah, I feel like. I feel like just taking, and I don't know, that video or whatever that you're talking about where Ari Shafir was actually teaching a class and giving that well, advice. It was a Q&A, but okay. it was like two-hour Q&A. Right. What I'm saying is generally the advice you're going to get from anyone if you're taking a class or whatever for stand-up is going to be bullshit. Uh, but you should still listen to it is what I'll say. Does that make sense? Where yeah, I feel that. You should sort through the bullshit on your own. Like I can tell you, I can, I can, I have the notes and everything from some of the, the, the stand-up class I took with Dean Lewis and the advice I've heard from other comics. I have notes, I've written shit down, and if I go through it and, and I, I, I can, I can sort it on this podcast and tell everyone, you know, I can read like hundred pieces of advice I've gotten and tell you five of them were actually helpful. And even then there'll be counter arguments. I don't want to do that for anyone, right? And you shouldn't want that anyway. You should go and sort of do the bullshit on your own, right? Just so right. you learn better. But at the same time, there's some piece of advice that are, that are universal in stand-up, which is hit as many open mics as you can, uh, make your sets better as time goes on, make sure you're always growing as a comic. You know, those, those things always stand. And you don't need a class to tell you that. And no class is going to tell you that. You'll never hear that in a class because that's so obvious, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <clears throat> I can agree with a lot of that. Yeah. Like here's one tip I'll tell you. One, one tip that really made sense to me was you should aim for one laugh a minute minimum. Oh, that's right. You were saying that, Oh, you know what? Actually, now that you brought that up, this is not the first time I've heard this. Um, right. even, even with uh, TV, and that's writing, nothing by the I've, way. I've heard I just want it. you to know that. That, that's nothing, right? If you're doing a five-minute set, that's only five laughs. Right? Yes. Right, right, right. And this is not the only time I've heard this. I, you, were, you were telling me that uh, you heard it was three laughs a minute. Sorry, and that's three a great laughs set. a minute. Yes, I'm, my bad. I'm three wrong. laughs? I'm, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry. That's wrong. Three laughs a minute. And it's the same, it's the same for... Uh, TV writing, that's what I've heard, is that if you're doing like a TV writing for some whatever, Hulu, not Hulu, but you know, like a TV show that w- that is going to be on ABC or, or whatever, um, like you have to have three good jokes per page. Right. Minimum. Right. Th- that's, that's three. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Because like even in sketch comedy, it's like you go by like – you just go by the beats, right? You're supposed to have three beats um, or, you know, around three or four beats. And those are, those are where the, the big laughs are going to be. Right. right. And to think that you have to do like three jokes per page in order for it to like make the cut in like a pilot. Like that means that you're, you're very easily your, your set. Sorry. Like your, your pilot or whatever. It could be very, it could be like too jokey in a way. Like not uh, not setting up realities a lot, but like just getting to the punchlines of these jokes and moving it along. And like when I started, when I heard that from uh, 
one of my friends who was who was working on a TV show, um, I was just like, oh, that's so true. If I watch like regular TV shows, um, like you know, on a CW or something like that, they they do have like these these jokes that come out of nowhere, and I'm just like, hey, can we just get to the like if this is like a vampire show, can we can we can we get the jokes from like real situations instead of like these these random like like I'm gonna say quotation like quote like witty remarks between the characters that that seem unnatural. Right. And yeah. and and think about this. I don't know about you, but like when you heard that, what did you feel like when you heard those requirements the first time and you're starting on your career? Like, well, we need to have these many laughs. I don't know if I can do that. Was that your reaction? Um, my first reaction was that seems like a lot of jokes. Right. But <laughs> that seems like a lot. It, but, and so it was mine too, but it was, but I got over that shock very quickly. Like the first time I heard it. And then 30 minutes later, I was like, like the first time I heard that, that you need to have three laughs a minute. I was like, Oh my God, that's a lot. Cause I realized I'm not doing that. And then 30 minutes later, I'm like, no, but that makes complete sense. Cause if I go watch an action movie, I only want to hear the backstory of the hero for like the first 20 minutes. And then I want some shooting or some fight scenes. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. I'm watching an action movie. They're not going to be like, you know, uh, oh, oh, five pages in, we're going to get to the action. No, they're going to be quick about it, right? And so that's what comedy is. Like, that's the metric, right? You're watching a basketball game. You're there to watch people score. It's, it's the same logic. So I feel like a lot of comedians do get shocked by those metrics. But I'm like, all right. You-, you know what? I get it. I get it. And I, I feel like that's why like my style of comedy is more like – um, in sketch comedy or like maybe like in movie screenplays because then you have something grounding the scene and then you make jokes from that grounding instead of just making like these wild like improv style jokes out of nowhere right um, and there was this one scene I was I was watching Uncut Gems literally last night right and uh, there was this one scene where alright sorry let me let me stop for a second. Do you do you know who's in Uncut Gems? Yeah, Adam Sandler, right? Yes, 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 yes. So I just watched it last night, and like it's supposed to be like a comedy, but like a lot of it was like humor here and there, right? It was mostly like the plot, what's going on. Like this dude's life was just guy, like he was just getting fucked over, like every which way. But there was this one scene in particular that lasted for like five minutes that I was laughing way more than three times a minute. I was like laughing throughout the entire thing. And it was like this one scene where he wants to get uh, the gem from like uh, this basketball player. Right. And he has one of those like doors in his uh, jewelry shop where like you have to get buzzed in and then get buzzed in again because the doors lock. And it just prevents people from stealing your shit, right? Your jewelry. Right. And that door wasn't working, but he really needed that gem. And like, so like these, so this basketball player is just like, hey, listen, like, let me in or you're not going to get this gem. And he's just like, no, I need this gem. And then he's just like, I can, whatever, like, Karen, can you, can you buzz him in? And then the buzzer wasn't working. And he's like, Jesus Christ. And they're just like, we're going to leave. And uh, Adam Sandler is just like, no, 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 no. Everything is fine. Everything is fine. We're going to get this door open. Right. And then he's like, can, can you please try the other buzzer? The other buzzer wasn't working. And then, then he, he was like stopping people from coming in. Uh, he was just like, no, 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 we need to get this figured out. And like the entire time, 
like there's an argument going on between the basketball player am sandler and then am sandler trying to get the door open so the door is like the problem right now and then there's like he's getting phone calls of people like trying to like you know almost like murder him and he's like trying to keep it all together trying to keep it professional because he needs that gem but you could tell like in that scene it was like heightening because that door was the fucking problem and then adam sandler is just like he's just like all right you know what you know what the door isn't opening because the magnets or whatever blah 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 i'm gonna get a hammer everybody get the get me a fucking hammer give me a hammer right now (laughs) and i'm just like he's about to break this glass so he could get this gem like what i liked about that moment is that it was it was all real there was no jokes but like you can see from like the rising tension that like the need for him to get the door open so that he can get the gem rose so high that he's willing to break the fucking wind like the right. the, the glass. There was humor right. in the situation, basically. There was humor in like and it was escalating all the way up. And then and then after like they got the door open, right? Right. And then like then the it was like that that pressure released and i and like this is this is something that i learned in uh in doing comedy in in college because i had a director who was like all about comedy like his his shit was like like i love comedies i want to do comedies forever and then he explained like in a play that just like, tension and it, breaking the, the tension yeah in the yeah exactly like when you have the more tension enters the scene the more dramatic it can get or the more the more hilarious it can get and making sure that we know what every person wants in that scene and how like the, uh, the scene continues to build up tension. That's going to get the audience to laugh right? or, or like be like really interested in what the fuck is going to happen next, you know? Yeah. So that's why they go hand in hand is sometimes. No, yeah. Like that was a great scene. Yeah. It's well, no drama and comedy go hand in hand with with the way they build a scene. And then yeah, breaking the tension is what differs. Are you breaking it with comedy or are you breaking it with drama? Yeah. <laughs> so I really, if you haven't seen that movie, I, I would say like yeah, that movie good. was pretty good. Yeah. It was a pretty good movie, but that scene in particular, I was just, I was like hysterical for like five minutes. <laughs> right. That's you interesting. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right. Let's all talk right. about something I, I wanted to talk about. Uh, that happened this past week, which is uh, Ricky Gervais and okay. his Golden Globe monologue, right? Did you yes. did you watch that? Yeah, man, it's it's eight minutes. Imagine if I couldn't. I'm like, yo, I'm so busy. I can't. <laughs> I can't do eight minutes. Uh, no, no, no. Now, not being able to watch one of the best comedians in the world uh, do a really good monologue. It's too busy, man. Yeah. No, I I saw it. I was. You know, you know, I, I had a sense of like relief, but also like, like, not anger, but like, I, I had like a hopefulness that this this kind of comedy doesn't go away because I feel like, I feel like he literally had to say at the beginning of the monologue, like, we're here to have a laugh. We all die. There's no sequel. They're just jokes. And I'm like, just to even like, we're at a point where we even have to say that is really sad because. Like I feel like we are looking at like the last of a dying breed look at, of no, comedy. Look at his audience, though. That's the number one thing. Look at look at his audience that he was performing in front of versus the audiences at home, right? Because the reaction of people watching this shit at home was, "Oh my god, that was great." The reaction of yeah. people, uh, well, let, let me re, let me restate that actually again. The the audience that he was 
forming in front of at the event itself or people he was making fun of and calling them out. Uh, and I think that was the whole point of saying again and again, it's jokes to make everyone understand that you guys take yourselves too seriously. These are jokes, but then the yeah. audience at home, most of them, at least people like you and me were like, Oh my God, that was great. And that's the kind of comedy we need. But then the aftermath was interesting for me. This entire week has been interesting because I've been watching him on Twitter and he's getting attacked nonstop. You know, it's similar to what happened when Dave Chappelle did Sticks and Stones, right? It's like, oh my yeah. God, he's offended people. He's crossed the line. And I'm like, I think he said like four times, these are just jokes, right? There's no, right. Line, there's no line crossing in jokes. The only time a line is crossing jokes is if you do a controversial joke, but you don't make it funny. Okay, now you cross the line. And that line is, you didn't make it funny, you know? Why did you bring up this topic without making it funny? I think that's the only right. line there should be in comedy. I mean, because, like, and, like, even Dave Chappelle talks about, like, if he's making jokes about it, that means that he's already went through the mental jumping jacks uh, about it, right? It's like right. He's, he's, he's thought about it. He's thought about his point of view on it, and he's, he's attempting to make people laugh. <laughs> and I'm like, but I will say this, though, for sure, that, you know, I do believe that comedians like Dave Chappelle do make fun of things that, he loves or he sees around and he just can poke fun in it. But, um, like, could you go too far in a joke? For sure. You can, but I just don't think that, um, condemning someone for not making like for, for actually even making the attempt is a problem. Right. Right. Cause most of the time that you joke about something, or at least most people that I know, like the, if they're joking about something, that means that they have like a strong opinion about it and they're just trying to tell you their opinion. Right. And I feel like a lot of people don't realize that because you have to understand when that joke started out, when like, let's just take Dave Chappelle for an example is when that joke started out, he was actually, let's not use Dave Chappelle. Right. Cause I mean, he, he's, he's somebody who, if he gets on stage, you're not an up, open mic. And he's not being funny. People are still going to laugh because they're like programmed to, right? He's Dave Chappelle. But let's take a comedian who you hear their stand-up special and they have great jokes on some controversial topic, right? And they're funny. You have to realize that those jokes, when they started out, were literally just a controversial opinion without the funny part, right? Because that's Uh why we go to open mics. We have like the opinion I started off with when I was in the bit earlier in this that I mentioned earlier, which is literally this dude stabbed his girlfriend, right? Because she was right. talking about the abortion and the idea that men should be able to take action on abortion too. But that's a con- that's starting as a controversial topic right there. Now I have to hit that idea at open mics till it gets fun, right? So yeah, and you so, have to like develop like your your point of view in a way that the audience will understand that you are not making fun of. The event because the event is pretty horrific, but so what's surrounding the event? You're pointing is, about is, the other is, things. Is there some funny stuff there? And it's it's the best way to understand the event. It's the best way to uh, reconcile with what's happened. Yeah, you yeah, know? I feel that. So, but I felt, yeah. So, so if you go back to the Ricky Gervais monologue, like yes, I got there were some crazy ass jokes in here, right? That, that I was he like, had some really good jokes. Like my, my favorite my, was when he did. When he did uh, the one about Apple and Tim Cook oh, okay. was right there. Yes. Actually, I really, you know what? To be honest with you, right? From 
I, I heard that joke and I'm just trying to understand like like what what Tim Cook would be thinking when he's hearing that joke, right? Because like he's a businessman, he's trying to he's he's trying to have a good name for his business, Apple. So if Ricky Gervais is just calling out that Apple is, you know, is out here just doing good for Americans, but like doing like some evil practices by hiring uh, you know, Chinese sweat sweatshop companies to do their business or part of their business. Like that's, that's bad publicity for Apple. Right. Right. But it's also really funny because he said that joke, but then he moved on. Like his point wasn't making fun of Apple. His point was really saying that if any of these celebrities are going to be accepting awards tonight, want to pretend like they're woke. They're not because if ISIS came out with a streaming service, service. they would be repping ISIS. Oh man. That yeah. was fucking great. And I, and I thought that that was great logic. Like that, that was, yes, that, that made complete sense. Cause I mean, no, I'm not even trying to say like, it didn't make sense in any way. It made so much sense that like, there's no argument against it. Right. Like just the fact that the joke like that was in the monologue, you shouldn't be, <laughs> you, you should just be like, this monologue is over. Like you can't argue against it. Cause the logic is so tight. I feel that. And I think that the only person that is allowed to get offended even partially is Tim Cook because he named like no other examples. He didn't name like Amazon Prime, for instance, you know, but I mean. No, but he named Amazon in there. He named Amazon and Disney. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool, cool. I mean, like I thought it was implied. I didn't know that he named it by by name. Oh no, he um, named Amazon. He named Apple, Amazon, Disney, and then he then he in his next sentence he's like, if ISIS started a streaming service, <laughs> you would call your agent, wouldn't you? So he basically <laughs> took the top. <laughs> that was really funny because I'm like, that's so true though. Like I I feel like all these woke celebrities would, and the thing is, is that like I'm not trying to be a celebrity hater. If I was a celebrity right now, Parth. I would just be like, yo, whoever pays me more gets me, you know, gets my endorsement. That's about it. That's what the game is. No, but like, that's not what they're doing. Like, they're not going up and accepting an award and be like, drink Coke. Right? They're like, no, of course not. Of course not. They're like, I care about climate. Like, Leonardo DiCaprio, he's like, I care about climate change. But then he has like a private jet. Like, what are you talking about, bro? <laughs> like, you know how much, do you understand how much oil you're using to fly a jet around the place? Like, what you, so. I feel, and did you hear the, there was a, a 30 second clip or something of, you know, like in the award show when the host comes back and announces like different guests to come up and give an award. There's mm-hmm. one, he, there's one show he did about Harvey Weinstein. Did you watch that one? I do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was, that was great. Like that was actually my favorite thing. And it wasn't even in the monologue where he basically, uh, what was the movie that he compared it to? Uh, the movie where Alexandra Bullock is blind. Uh, oh blind box blind, uh, bird box bird box sorry sorry bird box yeah, yeah. yeah blind box would be too much on the nose you know what i'm saying like i wonder <laughs> what this movie's about no bird box where and then he's like bird box so basically everyone who worked with harvey weinstein pretending like they don't see what's happening right and i wish he <laughs> i wish he called out people like meryl streep or oprah winfrey who like worked so closely with them. right 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 because like oh, the, way, the way you just mentioned that if you were a celebrity, you would you would endorse. I'm like, I wouldn't. If I became a celebrity at any point and I got an award, I would get blacklisted immediately because I would start my speech with, I would like to thank all the feminists 
who supported Harvey Weinstein, uh, Meryl Streep, uh, Oprah Winfrey, right? Like, oh my God, dude. <laughs> I would end my career oh, that's great. right there. Yeah, Just that is a career ending. I mean, it might be a career making or career ending joke. It really, right. I, I, I can't even tell you what, what, what way is gonna. But, that, right? but that's the best part about being a comedian. You just don't know. Is that the best part? That unpredictability. Yeah, kind of. Because, because I mean, think about it. Our job is unpredictable, right? Like, I, I mean, I can tell you, a, I can tell you a joke. I can tell you five jokes, and you're like, all five of them are funny. But if I go on stage and I get one laugh, I'm like, I can't be like, oh, I blame Aaron. It's just audiences didn't like it. You know, it's unpredictable to you perform it. Right, right, right. And uh, Patrice O'Neill has like this this idea that any joke that you might think of, you don't even know if it's funny. Even if you think it's the most hilarious joke that you've mm-hmm. ever heard, yeah. you don't even know if it's funny until the audience gives you the go, like the green, to say that it was funny. Right. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Um, I mean, did you have anything else to say about the Ricky Gervais my, I just thought it was I thought it was great uh, personally, and I and I just think that it, like the people in that room, and the, like, this is why I worry about it a little bit is that the people in the room didn't seem to completely be on board with that speech, but those are the people who are going to be creating movies for for everyone else to see. Right. No, I feel so like, like the, I, the, yeah, I, I I get it, I get it, but it's like. That, I think that was the whole point of the monologue, and uh, and my opinion on the monologue is uh, is the last is basically goes back to the last thing I said that it was it was so un, that since comedy is so unpredictable that was a very that entire monologue was unpredictable there were no safe jokes in there like if you watch usually a host at one of these award ceremonies they're doing fa- safe jokes that they know are going to land to a certain degree right these jokes were completely unpredictable edgy and he did it in an environment where you're supposed to be very predictable right and right. and i think that was the whole point that these people are making these movies but here's their hypocrisy yeah <clears throat> i agree uh let's see um did you did you have any more um did you have any more jokes that you wanted to go over so i have one joke that i think is already kind of I don't think I need to work on it too much, but the joke is, uh, uh, so it's a two part joke. It's having a good father means you're less likely to be successful. And I rub it in my dad's face that I had a good dad and he did it. (laughs) Okay. Do do you get what I'm saying? So it's like, yeah, like having a great dad and, and because a lot of times a great dad comes from not having a great dad. And at the same time, when you don't have a good dad, you're more likely to be successful. Cause just cause like, you know, like look at all the NBA football players, single mothers, bro. <laughs> right. Like <laughs> those are like I those, I, I have a, I have a, uh, all right. So I used to, I used to work in Harlem, right. I used to work in this all boys, um, high school. Mm-hmm. And all those kids were like playing basketball and um, like every day. And I would just, I was teaching JavaScript, right? And I was just like, hey, so, you know, what kind of career are you looking for? And literally all but one of them were just like, yeah, I'm going to get into the NBA and then buy my mama a house and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh man, this is so crazy. Like every person from 
from like that from my classes were just like we're all gonna make it all of us i'm like that's statistically impossible but that's crazy that, that's crazy like that's, like, that's crazy like, that you have that much faith no it's like this is why you need a dad in your life because you keep it real with you right just like uh-uh <laughs> right because like that's that's one of the main things about like like my dad keeps it real with me all the time he's like now nah, you're gonna fail at this 100 percent. i feel like he's trying to give you the uh, both both um feelings of having a present father, but not a supportive father. Imagine. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's like, he's like if, I, if I give him too much love, he's going to fail. Exactly. Like he's doing that for you. He's not doing it for him. Like he wants to show you love. <laughs> he wants to support everything that you're doing. But right now he's just like, you're going to fail if you don't do X, Y, and Z. And you, you, you're not going to make me proud. And then you're just like, damn it. I, I wish I had a supportive father. And you're just like, no, you don't, man. That's, what, <laughs> that's why I'm homeless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically and, and I think that's some good parenting I, right there right and i think that's an interesting topic where, it you is know, i think i think yeah. that there's something to play around with I, I think that you need to give like specific examples of how like your father is doing something different from everyone else right, right. like the typical father would do this like you can do anything that you want and then talk about how like they're son or daughter ended up after that you know they did, they did like, yeah they're like you can do anything and then he goes and becomes like a political science major he's like i can do anything dad and he just becomes a failure yeah it's just like oh i want to be a writer and just like <laughs> i like i i love that idea right. i love that and then you always have dreams about you becoming like a like a new york times bestseller which by the way i don't think it's very hard i think that you just have to write like a <laughs> yo, thesis yo that is so true though have you noticed that that almost every book is a new york times bestseller i'm like is it a bestseller before you put it on there or not because <laughs> yeah like i pick up a book and it literally it says, says new york, new york, times, york bestseller. times bestseller i'm like i want to read the books that are not new york times bestsellers because the ones i've been reading are trash but also, who the fuck is reading these books, though? Do I want to even be a part of this generation of uh, the people who read these same books? Like, right. if I think about the people, the generation who read books, that's like my father's generation, right? And I'm just like, I don't want his views to be incorporated into my views. Right. Get out of here. If it was up to my dad, there would be no more technological advances <laughs> because they just have enough. They just have enough OS systems. That's it. They're done. It's not about iPhone 1, basically. Like, oh, He's oh, just like, we, we, oh, we're good. We're good right now. You know? Like it's, like, it's like very basic qualifications. I can watch porn while shitting. That's enough. What else do we need? What else do you <laughs> want, motherfucker? <laughs> like, I, you know what's so funny is like in my, in my parents' generations, there was a whole bunch of readers, right? right. Like leather bound books or, right. you know, whatever. And then in this generation, it's just like, we're all memers. That's it. That's just it. like, if you're reading memes, you share the meme. And like you get your daily dose of comedy and that's it. You move on. You're not reading books these days. And I think memes are, I, I'm surprised no one has incorporated memes into like a stand-up. Like, like I've, I've seen the stand-up comedian who does like uh, a presentation while he's doing his bits. And I've seen him on Conan and stuff. I forgot his name. But it would be interesting to see uh, a stand-up comedian who's using memes. And what I mean is like he has the meme picture, but then he fills in the words with his bit. Oh yeah, that'd be interesting. I, I think, I think that he becomes like a prop comic kind of, right? It's it's more of like a like a one man show type of bit. Right. Um, it's something that you could totally actually. You know what? You should probably write this down 
for one of the NBC um, a despots. This, this could be one of those. Oh, that's true, actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah, actually, that I, I, yeah, I was thinking about doing that myself, but actually, you're right. This is a good idea to do on a talk show. Yes, exactly. You could do it easily from the desk, and and you could always come up with some new pictures of either the um, meme uh, of the week, meme of the week. Yeah, and you can create them on the spot or something, or people can like tweet in like their responses to the meme, and then yeah. they just choose the best one. Yeah, this is a good that's, idea. That's that's a really good one. All right, cool. So did you just see what happened right there? That was like a two-for-one like <laughs> session where we were talking about like your dad joke, and then we turned it into like the NBC uh, writer yeah. bit. Yeah. I think we should talk about that next week. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I'm still working on mine, actually. They just announced it, uh, the NBC I saw it uh, on Facebook. Workshop. I, don't, I don't see it on their page yet, though, their official page. I know. I know. I don't know what's going on, but it's supposed to be well, uh, for spring. Okay. Okay. Cool. So I mean, and we're technically I don't know when when does spring start? I think March or April or something. So we have some time. That's pretty much what it is because yeah. you know it's January. Um, but yeah, you know what? But I'm still working on those bits. I'm still working on my characters. Um, I'll run one. I'll run one. Sorry, I'll run one by you right now, and then and then we could uh, we could we just call it, yeah. call it yeah. a night. Yeah. But um, so. I have I have one where I think I'm just going to do, which is like the ketogenic diet dude, mm-hmm. and this goes back to the idea of Montel Williams, like me watching um, that clip of Montel Williams talk about how his life was really really hard for like ten minutes, right? Mm-hmm. He was talking about how his health was deteriorating, how his mental health also just physically his health was deteriorating, and also his mental health was also being you know. Uh, tested and challenged by you know uh, trying to figure out how to deal with PTSD and all this other business, and then in the last minute he attributes so much of his well being to the ketogenic diet, and I just think that that's a really really funny idea that like all the world's pro- all of your world's problems can be solved by just doing keto <laughs> and getting into ketosis. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's a that that that's just a hilarious idea in terms of like, and but he provides zero explanation. Like that's where the video ends, where like somebody's giving you a bunch of lists of problems that they've had, the solution being a once like just one sentence, and then that's it. Like right. zero explanation. Like a proper explanation would be inter interspersed with the solution multiple times. Like yeah. this is where it helped me. This is how it helped me. It's like and all this was stopped by a keto diet. Bye. And and it's so out of left field, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I had car troubles, keto diet. It's like, what? Just like, yeah. Because like the key, so, so what I want to do is I want to give a voice to Montel Williams um, after he starts getting into how it changed his life. Because, and I've looked up, you know, I've looked up like the, the different elements of the keto diet, which is, um, getting into ketosis, being able to burn fat quicker and having more energy. So he could just be like, I was tired all the time, you know, chemotherapy or whatever it is that he was going through. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I, and then I just, I got into ketosis, right. <laughs> got so much energy, you know? And then like, um, whatever, whatever he was just like, and then, you know, like my marriage, I don't, I, I mean, this is obviously not Monta Williams. Now this is just like the, the character bit, but this is like, and my marriage was falling apart. We were arguing so much 
But I just realized that it was because of the sugar and carbs. It was because of those things that our marriage wasn't working. Um, so we cut that all out. And that fixed that part of my life and just kind of like coast through like different ways of like in unexpected ways, just talking about like how, how horrible PTSD was. And then like one night I felt like all the darkness was creeping in and (laughs) I, I looked to the sky and I asked God, I asked God for more energy and more clarity and that's what the keto diet gave me. He gave me the keto diet. I was fully in ketosis. I had keto breath. My body was smelling. I was able to shit much better. I don't know. It's just a, I haven't figured out a way to put it on the page. And because I have to figure out all the, the, the key benefits of what happens after you get on the keto diet and all the side effects. And I have to write those down. And then I have to fit it into the, this monologue that perfectly explains why for some reason he took 10 minutes to tell an audience about all the problems that he was having and how the keto diet fixed it. I have no, I, I just thought it was so funny when I first saw it. Cause I'm like, how can you go about, like, I literally had no idea he was going to say keto at the end of that. <laughs> he was talking for nine minutes straight. And then he says keto. And then and that, I was just like, that's where the video ends. Like, that's the best part. Like that, that's the joke right there. Where it's like, and keto. And then like, I think one thing that you should watch for like reference is, uh, the key and peel one consequences. Okay. Have you seen that sketch? I might have. Where, where like, where like the dude comes to school to give one of those motivational speeches. Oh my God. Yes, right? yes, yes. It's kind of yes. like that where there's zero explanation. Right. Except you're using the same mechanism every time. Like he uses a different mechanism, like a piano got dropped on my head and then he just moves on to the next beat. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was just like, oh, you know, that is a that is a perfect example of what I could um, I could look at because he he literally was like a cartoon character. Right. Right. Like that's what it was. It's just like. He was like, oh, I was doing heroin, and you know what happened? After I, you know, I tried to get money for some more crack or whatever. Just like, I walked into quicksand. It was just like, what the fuck are you talking about right now? Oh, that was great. That was so funny. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's a good bit. There's something there. Do you, all right, so as a a one question, I want to write this character for the, uh, the NBC thing because I have to do one character and then one topical sketch right so i haven't figured out what i want to do for topical sketch just yet mm. i was thinking about doing a, a kanye west sunday sunday memorial just because like it is topical but also like he's ridiculous like the last time that he did one this is real he entered the church with a donkey and he couldn't control the donkey and he fell off the donkey and he's performing jesus christ I'm like, this is a shit show, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I want to do something like that, but do you think that this would also be good to perform on a on a mic? Just to be like, oh, I have some characters for you and do this keto man. Uh, yeah, I think the keto man is better. Well, of course. I. But are, are you saying like, do you think it's something that I can write for both mediums, which is like write it down for like a character sketch and perform <clears throat> on a mic uh, for, for yeah, an open I'm, mic? I'm just trying to think. No, you can't. I don't think you can. Cause it's, it's the point of, no, I feel like 
the point of stand-up is to expand a bit, where in sketch you can get away with repeating the same mechanism again and again. That gets the laugh. Oh, yeah, yeah. I right? got you. Where by stand-up, the audience would be like, why are you doing this? Right? Where in, in, in sketch, you can put something physical on stage to differentiate, and but keep repeating the same line. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, I got you. I don't know. I mean, you can try it. I could be wrong again. That's one of the things you don't know until you do it in front of an audience. Yeah. And I do that too. Like, I feel like I go and do my sketch pitches in front of audiences sometimes, disguise as stand up bits. And, and you just to see how. Yeah, yeah. Just to, just to okay. see if the beats are solid, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, that's all, that's all we got. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to stop recording now.